A political junkie is somebody who's always thinking about politics, is always interested in the latest political news. But it's somebody who's got a passion. It, you know, it's a hobby and it can be a profession as well. But it's somebody who follows elections and is intently interested in that. And so when there's this idea of calling them a junkie at the time, right, because they're desperately addicted to it, they need more, they need their latest fix. And so some of my readers have called me the crack dealer for political junkies. Because what I'm doing is I'm giving them the next nugget. I'm giving them that thing that they need, their next hit. And whether that's a poll result, whether that's a bit of gossip that was overheard in a committee on Capitol Hill, or whether that was the fact that some rumor that somebody is going to run for office, all of those things are intensely interesting to political junkies. And so that's really what I cater to. So I view my audience as political junkies, as well as those who kind of are employed in public affairs and in politics and elections, people who make their living doing this. Those are the key people who keep coming back to my site. Political junkies on this episode of Webmasters. We're not talking about politics in the sense of what people believe or don't believe about how countries should be run. We're talking about political junkies, a group of people who certainly have their political beliefs, but the reason they're interested in what our guest built is that he's feeding their addiction to news about politics itself, the political machinery, and of course, all the juicy gossip behind it, which has its own culture and community. So it doesn't matter what side of the aisle they're on, if they love politics, it means they love the website of this episode's guest. He is Tegan Goddard, and his website is politicalwire.com. Are you ready to hear the story? Then let's get dialed in. Welcome to Webmasters, the podcast that explores internet history, entrepreneurship, social media, and all sorts of other digital-related things. Oh, and we do it by talking with some of the world's most impactful innovators and creators. I'm your host, Aaron Dinan. I'm a serial entrepreneur, and I teach entrepreneurship at Duke University, but I'm definitely not the exciting person you're here to hear from. You're here to hear from Tegan Goddard, creator and longtime publisher of the political news website, politicalwire.com. So that's who we're going to start talking with as soon as I take a moment to tell you about this episode's sponsor. Webmasters is being brought to you with help and support from our sponsor, Latonas. Latonas is a boutique mergers and acquisitions broker. They help people buy and sell cash flow positive internet businesses and digital assets. That includes things like content websites, which is what we're going to discuss here on the show today. It also includes e-commerce sites, Shopify stores, Amazon FBAs, SaaS apps, domain portfolios. Basically, if you've got a profitable work from anywhere internet business and you're thinking of selling it, then you should reach out to the team at Latonas. The expert brokers over there can help you get your business sold for a great price. Alternately, if you're hoping to buy an internet business, well, Latonas can help you too by heading on over to the Latonas website where you'll find regularly updated listings for all of the profitable internet businesses that they're currently helping to sell. That website is, of course, latonas.com, L-A-T-O-N-A-S.com. As someone who isn't personally a political junkie, I'll admit to making a mistake when I first began learning about this episode's guest, Taken Goddard. When I began exploring his work and the long history he and his work has with the history of the web at large, and, you know, digital publishing more broadly, I assumed Tegan was a political journalist. 
but I was wrong. And not only was I wrong, it's actually a very important distinction that we'll want to clear up for anyone who isn't familiar with Tegan and his work. The easiest way to describe what I do is I'm a digital media entrepreneur and have been for some time from the very early days of the internet till today. So you consider yourself a digital media entrepreneur and not a political journalist? I am definitely not a journalist. Politics and political journalism is kind of my mechanism for exploring digital media. The reason this is such an important distinction is because it's easy to see the subject of Tegan's website, Political Wire, and just assume he's some pundit who grew a following for his opinions. That's not what makes Tegan's story or the story of Political Wire interesting. At least, that's not what's interesting to me. What's interesting is how Political Wire is an incredible example of the thing that makes the internet and World Wide Web truly unique in comparison to all the publishing technologies that came before them. Tegan actually touches on this distinction a bit later in our conversation, so I'll use his words to explain my point great thing about the internet has always been that people gather according to interests and not geography. Think about the significance of that statement for a moment. For all of human history until very, very, very recently, communities were built around geography. While other media technologies and advancing travel technologies began to change that, the real catalyst for change was the internet. That was the first time people across the world could quickly and easily form communities entirely around their interests rather than their physical locations. That's what makes Political Wire interesting. Politics is a topic that's inherently fractious. However, despite that built-in rancor, Political Wire still manages to bring together a community of people with a wide array of political beliefs because they all enjoy discussing the political machine itself. Imagine that. A group of people who surely have very strong differences in opinions about politics are still a thriving community around a shared interest related to politics. That's pretty cool. And that's the power of the internet to connect and convene, the thing it doesn't get nearly enough credit for. Instead, we always hear how the web and social media are quote-unquote ruining the world. And yes, it certainly does enable its share of issues, but maybe we need to spend more time thinking about how these technologies also bring people together. Or at least that's my thesis, and Political Wire is a fun opportunity to do that. So let's start by taking a bit of time to learn more about Tegan and how he got started, not as a political journalist, but as a digital entrepreneur. I first discovered computers. I had my first computer was a Commodore VIC-20 with a cassette tape drive back when I was a kid. And my parents probably didn't realize quite what they were setting off in me when they bought me for graduation from high school an Apple IIe, which at the time was an absurdly expensive computer with 40 columns of text and in one floppy drive, which it wrote on the disk, I think on only one side, but it really unleashed in me just, I couldn't believe the power of these computers. And I soon thereafter added a modem, which was at the time 300 baud modem. You could literally watch the characters crawl across the screen. And I would find these digital, uh, these bulletin board systems that people had set up and your phone line was busy whenever you were using it. I couldn't believe that the word that you could communicate this way and that you could find all sorts of information. The thing that I was interested in the time was home automation. So I was very curious how you could use computers to control your home and turn lights on and all the rest. And I actually was a self-taught programmer. 
and wrote several programs which help people in this kind of hobbyist world control their lights from their computers and things like this. And I distributed those via these bulletin board systems as shareware, which was literally, there was just a message in a text file along with the zip file that got sent around that if you like this, you know, send me a check, literally send me a paper check to a US mail address. And I did this and when I was in high school, it was the first time I released this software. And to my amazement for five, six years, maybe even longer at my parents' home in Connecticut where I grew up, I would get checks of 10 and $15 a week after week after week for these two programs that I wrote. Out of curiosity, what makes a high schooler think to start selling his software online, uh, almost pre-World Wide Web? I mean, before just about anyone is selling anything online, uh, where did that inclination toward entrepreneurship come from, especially at such a young age? Well, it was probably my dad. I can't say he was the greatest businessman in the world, but he was kind of incapable of working for other people. He went to law school and uh, worked for a law firm for all of nine months before he quit and started his own. He was definitely an entrepreneur that way. So my entire life, you know, I was used to my dad with his own business and trying to make enough money to support his family and all of that. So it was definitely his influence. And it was probably his influence as well that I was so interested in politics. All of that came together. But when I was in high school, my interest was mostly in computer technology and how these computers could work. As I mentioned, when I discovered that you could hook a modem up to one of these computers and communicate with others across these bulletin boards. Now, none of this was real-time communication. You would dial into these bulletin boards, you would leave messages, and then you would dial in the next day and see if anybody responded. You could download software, you know, which is where I distributed these programs that I had written as well. But it was fascinating. It was a fascinating early time. It was very early, right? I, I mean, almost nobody was doing business online yet. I, I can't imagine anyone was making a full living. What were you doing? I, I assume you had some type of full-time job and you were just tinkering on the side with the web. Is that right? Yes, I was an economics major in college. So I went to college and I graduated from college and I worked as a research assistant at the Federal Reserve Board in Washington, D.C. I was interested in politics, in public policy, particularly economic policy in Washington. And it was at the Fed where I both discovered the internet, the real internet, not just these bulletin board systems or these online services like CompuServe or Prodigy, which we had at the time, or the bulletin board systems. But I discovered the real internet and Usenet groups and things like that because the Fed was connected to the internet at that time. Most universities, my college, for instance, at least as far as I knew when I was there, was not yet connected to the internet. We didn't have email addresses or anything like that. But when I was at the Fed, it was. But then it was also in college where I discovered my great love of the Wall Street Journal. And as an economics major, I read the Wall Street Journal religiously, but I mostly waited for the Friday. This was, of course, print editions of the Wall Street Journal. But on Friday's edition, on the far right-hand column of the front page, there was a column every Friday called Washington Wire. In Washington Wire was essentially these nuggets of information that would be reported from the journal's Washington Bureau. And it was just fascinating, some of the interesting tidbits and gossip, stuff that didn't make their reporting during the week. But it was a really, every single Friday was an interesting column. And it really was the basis for what Political Wire became years later. 
So all of that I learned back when I was in college in these early days at the Fed in Washington when I discovered the internet and built on those experiences in high school. But I didn't actually turn it into a business for a while. So this was mostly my own fascination, and but that's where the spark grew. And so how does that initial spark of an interest in the Friday Wall Street Journal political tidbits column ignite into a full-on website expanding that concept at a much bigger scale online? You know, after that, I ended up going off to graduate school where I studied public policy in graduate school and then came back and I worked in politics. I then worked on Wall Street for a while. But in the late 90s, in 1997, I had a book that I had written with a friend of mine, which came out, was published by Simon & Schuster. After the book was done, we tried to decide, should we write another book or not? And what I wanted to do was, I wanted to start a website. We called it Political Insider at the time, back in 1997. And what it was, was a daily briefing of politics. It was published once a day in the morning, and it was the predecessor to Political Wire, although I did it with my co-author for a couple of years in the run-up to the 2000 presidential election. There wasn't even blog software at the time, so we were using Microsoft front page to publish the site. And then there was a guy, this very, very talented young programmer, a guy named Noah Gray, who created the first blogging software that I was ever familiar with called Gray Matter. And Noah released this for free. And all it really was, was the ability of server-based software, which gave you the ability to publish and reverse chronological order postings. And when I saw that, this was while I was running Political Insider with my friend. When I saw Gray Matter, the spark went off. I said, this is exactly what I'm looking for. This is how I can finally create that Washington Wire column that lives 24 hours a day, whenever there's something interesting and new, I can instantly update the column, so to speak. And whatever's on top will be the most recent information. It was transformative and Noah Gray was really the inspiration for that in his software that he put out. Admittedly, this was the first time I'd heard Noah Gray's name, which, having been doing interviews for these podcasts for the better part of three years, seemed odd, so I did a bit of digging. Yes, Noah Gray created a free and open-source blogging software in November of 2000. It was written in Perl, and it may or may not have been the first open-source blogging software. Honestly, the details are all quite fuzzy, which is part of why I'm bringing it up. This is a podcast that explores the history of the internet, the operative word here being that we're exploring it rather than writing it. Uh, The truth is, the internet is full of who knows how many Noah Grays, people who made important contributions but don't necessarily have their own Wikipedia pages. And the more interviews I do for this project and the more people I get to speak with, the more I find myself wondering about all the people whose stories were missing. So, uh, sorry I can't shed more light on Noah Gray or Gray Matter. If you're out there listening, though, Noah, and you feel like telling your story, we'd love to hear it. For now, though, I guess it's back to Tegan. Uh, I was curious why someone who had published a book about seemingly similar topics, uh, why did he opt to not write a second book and instead focus on the fledgling internet? Part of it was just due to the fact it took us two and a half years to write the book and get it published. So the publishing lead time was ridiculous. I think it took them nine months or a year after we turned in the manuscript to actually publish the book. And then the promotion of the book and all of that. I mean, it was great fun. I'm glad I did it. But I couldn't believe this technology that I had been interested in going back all the way to high school was all of a sudden making it possible for one to publish immediately to the internet. 
and that we didn't need publishers. We didn't need intermediaries. You know, I got paid for my book a 15% royalty for the hardcover edition. I could publish to the internet. And while there was no way to really make money at the time, it was very apparent that this was going to be the way that things were published. And so as somebody who was entrepreneurial as far back as in high school, I'd always kept that in the back of my mind. Although for those early years, um, Political Insider and then Political Wire, which started a couple of years later, was very much a hobby until it became a side hustle when I began to figure out ways to monetize it. Could you describe what the online publishing ecosystem was like for this kind of content back when you were first launching? Uh, just to give some context into how big of a leap it was to issue writing another book in favor of what I assume would have seemed like a crazy website idea. There wasn't much going on at that time. I mean, when Political Insider first came up, most newspapers at the time would put their newspaper up online. So if you're the Des Moines Register, you would put your newspaper up online, but not all of it would go up online. And it would pretty much mirror the sections of the Des Moines Register paper edition. So you would have local news section and a business section, but there was nothing like a political section. Like if you go to most major news sources now, there's always a politics tab or a politics section where political news goes. That wasn't the case then because paper newspapers didn't have a politics section. And so the reason why I wanted to start a website like that was to kind of disintermediate newspapers and to create that politics section. So it can be argued that Political Insider was the first politics section of the news media put up on the web. And Political Wire then just became the living 24-7 version of that. Political Insider was once a day but Political Wire was just updated continuously. And as we went through that, it was really just the idea that I wanted to basically find the best political stories, no matter where they were, no matter what newspaper, no matter what website, whether it was local. If you're a political junkie, you might be interested in a mayoral race in Iowa, just as much as you're interested in the governor's race in Texas or in the battle for control of the U.S. Senate in Washington, D.C. All of those may be interesting to you. And there was no publication that really covered those in that way, at least no online publication. There were newsletters in Washington, of course, like the Cook Political Report, the Rothenberg Political Report that covered politics, but there was nothing online at the time that did anything like this. When I hear you describe what you built, it almost sounds like taking something as seemingly important and impactful as politics and focusing on, for lack of a better phrase, its entertainment value. Is, is that a fair categorization? Wasn't so much as the entertainment thing, but it was sometimes, I guess, all of these websites, including Political Wire, can be guilty of focusing more on some of the entertainment angles of politics. But it was more the idea that there were, long before the internet, there were people who would call themselves political junkies, and they were always interested, just as your passion might be football or your passion might be some other bird watching or something, you would then seek out sources and you would, whether it was magazines on a newsstand or whether it was books, and you would read up on what your passion was. There were always these people called political junkies who would engage in conversation and debate and were fascinated with elections and how they worked. And what I tried to do was really create a real-time publication for political junkies. And so whenever there was anything new and interesting happening, I wanted to show them. And what the internet allowed that publications didn't is I didn't have to rewrite a story. I could simply 
create a sentence and link to where the story is. And that was the beautiful thing is at the time, if you go back to what the business models were in the early days of the internet, back in the late nineties, the early two thousands, everyone was trying to gather eyeballs at which they could monetize them. And then they were trying to keep them on their web property at all costs. And they were trying to then serving them ads banner ads at the time was the main business model, but nobody ever wanted to lose that traffic and link to other websites because that would be bad. But that was the fundamental nature of what made the web great was linking out. And so I never paid attention to any of that. I thought that if people are going to come to Political Wire, they're going to come because I have the links and they may link out elsewhere on the internet and who knows if they'll come back. But if they value my editorial judgment and what I'm putting up on Political Wire, it was my guess that they would keep coming back. And fortunately, all these years later, that's proven to be the case. I mean, I, I guess so. It's certainly hard to argue with a 20 plus year track record of what consistently publishing the same site on the Internet. I mean, that's something very few people can claim. Uh, if I may ask, how did you initially think about growing Political Wire? What was the calculus you used to build an audience with so much long term staying power? Truthfully, I don't know how it grew other than word of mouth at the time. There was no social media to speak of. The only social media we had was email, really, and that people, I'm sure, shared links to Political Wire via email and that type of thing. And what was great about it was that people who had similar views as me, people who wanted to see more of this type of stuff, they all kind of gathered in community. And so the great thing about the internet has always been that people gather according to interests and not geography. And so that allowed us to all kind of be in one place. And Political Wire became one of those places where people would gather if they were interested in this type of technology and this type of news. So word of mouth is probably the way that the site grew. It was in 2006, which was a really interesting election year, a midterm election year that I all of a sudden realized I was working on Wall Street at the time. I was working for an asset management firm. And I would do this, this would primarily be something I would do on the train on the way into New York City in the morning and then various off times during the day or at night before the midterm elections in 2006 that there were three political analysts who wanted to put their forecasts up on political wire and they wanted me to feature them. And the three political analysts were Charlie Cook, uh, Stu Rothenberg and Chuck Todd. And I was blown away. This was about two weeks before the election probably the three political analysts in Washington who I respected the most, and they all independently reached out, could Political Wire link to or post their forecasts? And I was flattered, of course, but then it got me thinking, wow, this website is kind of broken through to the Washington, D.C. You know, I was living in New York working on Wall Street, so I wasn't in the middle of that world anymore. But the website had broken through. And so it got me thinking, maybe I should start taking this website a little bit more seriously. Maybe it's more than a hobby if these guys are reaching out to me. And right after the election, actually, right after that 2006 election where the Democrats took control of the House of Representatives, the Washington, D.C. media company called Congressional Quarterly reached out and wanted to do a partnership with me and wanted to conceivably buy the website if they could. And I was kind of blown away. And so I had conversations with them and we worked out a content sharing partnership where what they were interested in mainly was the fact that I had this traffic, this community that I had built up. And they were interested in seeing if some of that traffic was going to be interested in their digital media properties as well. So, and that started a relationship that lasted another six years. 
where ultimately in 2008, they ended up, we created a deal where I kept ownership of Political Wire, but I licensed the property to them and they started selling advertising on the website. So you just mentioned one form of monetization, which was advertising, or or rather it sounds like a partnership to let someone else advertise. Now, when I go to the site, it looks like you're doing subscriptions. Can you maybe walk us through the evolution of the business models behind Political Wire? Yeah, sure. There's pretty much been four phases of it. The first phase was a sponsorship phase. So this was before banner ads or digital ads were ubiquitous around the web. It actually wasn't sponsorships. What it was was syndication, really. So like I said, I back with Political Insider, I created this daily political briefing. It came out each morning and there was the scramble that other emerging internet companies had. They wanted to gather eyeballs. That was their goal is to gather eyeballs and then figure out how to monetize those eyeballs. And because I had this briefing, I was approached by a number of companies. Almost every one of them doesn't exist anymore in order to syndicate the briefing. Even though, which made no sense to me, to be perfectly honest, because Political Insider was available on the web and anybody could access it from anywhere. But nonetheless, they were willing to pay me a monthly fee to allow my briefing to run on their websites as well. The exact same briefing, even though it existed at politicalinsider.com. Dick Morris, the political consultant, he had a website called vote.com. And so he paid me to run the briefing on vote.com. There was another political discussion site called politicalwag.com. The founder of that site paid me to put my briefing on his site, even though it was available on vote.com and on politicalinsider.com. And it literally just went around the world. I ended up getting a handful of people. And at the time, this was just a side hustle, but it was making a decent amount of money at the time because people were willing to pay me these syndication fees to syndicate what was the most comprehensive, freely available briefing. They just wanted it on their website. Typically, what happened was each of these internet companies in this phase and before the bubble burst in 2000, 2001, they were all flush with venture capital money. And so the fastest way to get an interesting piece of content on their site was to pay me, whether it was a thousand or two thousand or five thousand dollars a month to syndicate these this briefing. They were willing to pay me. And so I pretty much syndicated on a non-exclusive basis to as many websites as I possibly could. And it only actually, interestingly enough, is while all those websites kind of went belly up, it actually grew my own profile because all of the money they were spending on traffic to their websites, they would learn about who I was. And so I was this guy who, relatively young guy who I had just written a book, but most people didn't know who I was. And I was taking advantage of these business deals to become better known in this world. And ultimately, people would start going to politicalinsider.com. Like I said, every single one of these companies no longer exists anymore. So they all burn through their venture capital and they don't exist, but my website still exists all these years later. So, but that was the first phase was the syndication phase. The second phase was, you know, I started dabbling in digital advertising, banner ads, they were called at the time and trying to run those. And, you know, and it was interesting. Google AdSense had come out and it was, there were some interesting stories. And during the election, when an election would happen, And there was a very competitive election. Let's say the California gubernatorial race was very exciting. 
all of my readers in California would start to see advertising for the governor's race there. And so it tended to be this feast or famine type thing. Whenever there were great political campaigns going on, my website could benefit from those ads, but it was not very sophisticated at the time. And then I moved into, I had a partnership with Congressional Quarterly, which became CQ Roll Call, where I leased the site to them. While I kept ownership of it, they leased the advertising space and they had their own advertisers, mostly inside the Beltway advertisers in Washington who are interested in politics, typically their profession, and presumably they could monetize this space at a much higher rate than any of the other ad companies could. And so I did that. I had a four-year arrangement with them. And then we moved into what is a subscription and programmatic advertising mainly model, where the readers who come to my site there's a free version of my site at politicalwire.com and they come and it is monetized through programmatic advertising and the hardcore readers who want more, the readers who want this bundle of information, men who want access to me as well, they pay a subscription fee. It's a pretty elegant and pretty nice business model right now. I'm able to monetize both casual readers who are more drive-by readers, as well as the more intense political junkies who want a subscription and want to get a special version of the site just for them. It's interesting. It, it kind of sounds like you've pretty much moved into what these days we might call a creator business model. And honestly, you've just been a creator for a lot longer than most people. I mean, before being a creator was even really a thing, I guess. Uh, recognizing that similarity, at what point do you become a sort of, for lack of a better word, character in this community? I ask because I noticed the banner on the website isn't just Political Wire, it's Tegan Goddard's Political Wire, which seems like an important distinction. You are a key part of the product in a lot of ways. When did that happen? It was literally right at that time in 2006 when I rebranded the site from just Political Wire to Taken Goddard's Political Wire. And I realized that when you're in the middle of it, you don't quite realize it. But I realized the personal nature of these websites, that an individual could have a website and it was their website, their views. It was very different than the New York Times website, which you know has a lot of different writers. But it was right about that same time as when I rebranded the site with my name. And, you know, people would email me and people would comment on the site and I became part of their day. And the average Political Wire reader, even back then, would keep Political Wire open in a web browser tab and they would simply return to it multiple times during the day and hit refresh, it became part of their reading habits. And so... That to me was the most amazing thing was creating this community. And then when I would make a mistake, which happens occasionally, it was fascinating how quickly I would be alerted to the mistake, almost like real time editing of my readers who would instantly say, you know, that I maybe I made a typo or maybe I got something factually wrong or maybe they just disagreed with me and they gave me this feedback. And I realized that not only had I created this audience of people who are interested in the same things as I was, but I had created this audience of really smart people. Like they really understood politics in a way that most people in my real world, my real geographic world did not. I tend to always be in my own community. I tend to know more about politics than most people. Well, all of those people who were like me were reading Political Wire now. And so the people that I was dealing with were just amazingly interesting in terms of their breadth of knowledge and what they knew. So it became a situation very quickly that I was learning as much from them as they probably were from me. And it became core to the success of the site. 
But I did begin to realize that because people were identifying me as someone that that was part of their day and that they would come and see what I had to say and would ultimately, when I created a subscription business, they would pay me money to hear what I had to say. It became much more apparent over the years that I should nurture that, that I should let people kind of inside a little bit. So when I go on vacation someplace interesting, what I've tended to do is create a postcard and include a photo on the thing. So for instance, I was just in uh, India and Nepal last month, and I had a postcard from India and a postcard from Nepal sharing a photo of what we were doing, what we were seeing describing something that's interesting. And usually the things that are interesting that I point out are about politics, about something that I think my readers would be interested. But I happen to be in India or Nepal or in Buenos Aires or in Rome or wherever it may be. And I think, and I found that those are really great ways to help people identify with me, who I am, what my interests are kind of outside of politics. You know, most of my readers know at this point that I'm a big Boston Red Sox fan as well. And so that's the type of thing that kind of humanizes you and makes you more than just some faceless person on the internet. So it's obviously easier for somebody who's got a YouTube channel. It's easier if you have a podcast, which I do now, but I have not always had a podcast. And, you know, when you're talking into somebody's ears, they feel like they know you. On my site, interaction is mainly through text. And so I will sometimes comment with people on the various postings that are made, but then they get to see, they get a general sense of what my belief systems are, what my views of politics are. And I tend to not bias it either way to either political party in general. People get a sense of where my own political views lie and what I do, and I don't hide that. So if you were writing for the New York Times, you know, you've probably been encouraged your entire career to hide that. I don't hide that. I am just as interested in interesting political plays, so to speak, uh, political strategies that come from the left or from the right, even if the way that I vote is more one way than another, just as interested in how people, you know, this idea of gaining political power, using political power and keeping political power. There are all ways that both Democrats and Republicans and sometimes third party candidates do to, they're good examples of that. And I like to highlight all of those examples, regardless of where they come from. But over time, most readers kind of get my own politics are coming from, but I have plenty of readers who are Republicans, who are Democrats, and they like the site for what it provides, the information that it provides regardless of what my views may be. And just to confirm, by the way, this is all a full-time job, right? Not a side hustle. Oh, it's been my full-time job since 2008. So it was a 2008 election and I was working on Wall Street at the time. And in 2008, as you can remember, the financial markets were in total meltdown and the political season was just roaring with this epic presidential campaign that ended up as Barack Obama against John McCain but both parties were fighting it out in primaries. And at one point my wife just looked at me because I was working full-time on my day job and I was working full-time on my side hustle. And she just said, you've got to choose one of these. And I just, so anyway, it was finally time for me to leave and to do this full-time. So I've been doing it full-time now about 15 years. So having done this for so long, I feel like you probably understand the challenges of being a full-time content creator online better than really almost anyone. How have you done it for so long? Because it's a job that really never stops and doing it for two plus decades now, I mean, that has to have been exhausting. You have to love what you do. So you have to absolutely love it. 
the reason that Political Wire has existed for more than two decades has been because I have an unlimited appetite for politics. I don't ever tire of it. And it's true. I'm on vacation. I don't tire of it. It's I would read this news if I wasn't doing this. Before I did this, I read this type of news. Like I said, I devoured the Washington Wire column in the Wall Street Journal back when I was 18 years old. So I always been interested in this. I think that's the key is like whatever you do, you have to love it. And people who choose topic areas just because they think that's a topic area that might allow them to make money, they're very unlikely to be successful because they won't be able to continue. They'll, they'll get tired of it. It takes somebody, you know, whether your passion is baseball or bird watching or politics, you've got to really, really love it. You have to love it. That's a great summary of Tegan Goddard's words and how he's managed to grow and maintain political wire since all the way back in 2000 as basically a solopreneur managing a 24-7 media channel. And as incredible as it is, it's almost even more incredible to think that we live in a digital world that enables entrepreneurs like Tegan. By that, I mean it enables people who build entire lives and careers around nurturing a diverse and disparate community of people who live in all sorts of different places, but just happen to be interested in the same thing. That's that's a pretty cool change in human history, right? It's certainly a huge part of why I'm so fascinated by the digital world and the creator ecosystem. And it's why I'm thrilled to have been able to speak with one of its true pioneers here on Webmasters. If you'd like to learn more about Tegan and his work, well, you can probably figure out where to find him. It's politicalwire.com. As for us, if you'd like to learn more, you can get all of that information by following us on Twitter. We're at WebmastersPod. And I'm on Twitter, too. That's at Aaron Dinan, A-A-R-O-N-D-I-N-I-N. You can also check out my website where you'll see how to access all my other articles, videos, classes, etc. That's AaronDinan.com. A big thanks to our audio engineer, Ryan Higgs, for his help pulling together this episode. And a thanks to our sponsor, Latonas, for their support. Remember, if you're interested in buying or selling an internet business, be sure to check out latonas.com. If you're interested in more episodes of Webmasters, check out our archives. We've got over 100 episodes now, and they're all great. You can also subscribe on your podcasting app of choice so you get the next episode as soon as it's released. Until then, well... It's time for me to sign off. Goodbye.